What did you eat for breakfast? Uh, normally, I don't eat breakfast, but today I had some carrot cake because or carrot bread because I twisted my ankle last night and needed something to have with ibuprofen. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 89. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. Joining me on this episode is PR aficionado Matt Bacon from Dropout Media. Matt talks about his upbringing, his obsessive penchant for music culture and history, and how he launched his career working for bands and labels in the metal scene. He also takes us on a fascinating journey behind the scenes of label deals, working for large European festivals interviewing metal legends, and some tips for those who have aspirations to work in the music business. Matt also talks about his upcoming move to London, which at the time of release has already happened, his mental health, and he also shares an amazing list of books that contributed to his knowledge of marketing. This episode's artist suggestion is Swedish band October Tide. Originally a side project of Catatonia's Jonas Rensk and then-guitarist Fred Norman. You are hearing samples from the albums A Thin Shell and Tunnel of No Light, which are the two albums that really got me into the band. They have six albums total, two older, two newer. The most recent is 2019's In Splendor Below. I'm a big fan of the doomy death metal sound that has slight prog leanings, which is one thing that Catatonia are also known for. If you dig what you're hearing, go check out their catalogue, like their socials, and support them in whatever way you can. Here's my interview with Matt. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Bacon of Dropout Media. How are you doing, man? Hey, hey, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very um, much. So, yeah, let's let's dig into what you do. Could you describe what Dropout Media is and what you provide for bands and artists? Yeah, so basically, I'm a, you know, like a marketing agency, essentially, for bands and labels and a few other things. 
uh, you know, some like small business in the music space, like mastering companies or producers, um, you know, and then my focus is on digital marketing, especially like Facebook and, and Instagram ads. Uh, but on top of that, I do a lot of larger strategy things. I hook up a lot of larger deals, you know, um, distribution deals in particular. I kind of help connect people with. Um, so, you know, doing those sorts of things that help get people over the hump, teaching them a little bit. And, you know, the teaching is something that I think a lot of people know me from, especially from my Instagram series at bacons.bits, uh, which is where the vast majority of people kind of discover me. Uh, and then everything else kind of emerges from that. Awesome. Yeah, so let's let's dig into your history a little bit. How did you get started on on that route? You know, what got you I mean, obviously your your geared more your your niche is more the heavy music. Um, but how how did you get into music in the first place and then what kind of started you you know, dropout media? So it's kind of weird because when I was a kid, my parents are really into painting. They're not really into music. Hmm. You know, like literally the other day my dad texted me and was like have you listened to any Jimi Hendrix? He's pretty good. I was like, <laughs> I thought it was like a law that dads had to like Jimi Hendrix. That's funny. Um, you know, um, my, 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 my mom liked music a little bit more, you know, like I clearly remember her playing me stairway to heaven for the first time, right. but like growing up, I wasn't really exposed to like interesting music. And I, but I remember going to a Dada exhibit in DC. It's like a weird stroke of fate because we weren't even supposed to get in. Like we somehow went in through the exit by accident or something. And I saw this Dada mm-hmm. exhibit and it like blew my mind. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I, like I, maybe I'm weird, but like, and I don't, you know, think like other kids and I can't draw, but like this guy has a fucking urinal as a piece of art. So like maybe I can get there. And then, you know, <laughs> piece by piece, like I started to discover, I remember when I was like 10 or 11, I got really into the Beatles. And then from Mm -hmm. there, I was like, wait a second. What are these? What's this Led Zeppelin band who came after, you know, and it was like this weird step by step process, you know, for a couple of years until it was like, oh, and here's Slayer. Okay, we're done. (laughs) Right. Like like this is this is all this is this is this is what I wanted, (laughs) Um, you know, and then out of that, uh, I moved to France when I'm 14 and I don't really have any friends uh you know i spoke french because my family is french but like i didn't really like you know like i went to a small high school and there weren't other kids who like dark throne <laughs> um yeah y- you know how it is like you kind of assume when you're 14 that you're not the only 14 year old into dark throne right um you you hope yes and shockingly it never changes <laughs> Where, whereabouts in france was that? uh in paris Okay. And so what ends up happening is I end up starting, I end up at the encouragement of a friend writing a review um, for that band, Black Country Communion on Ultimate Guitar. And then out of that, we kind of decide, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we had a blog together? So mm-hmm. we start two guys metal reviews with my friend Dan, who I've been friends with since preschool. And uh, he only ever wrote a small handful of reviews. I just never changed the name after 10 years. you know but that blog was sort of the entry point because it got me meeting people got me sort of seeing how things worked a little bit you know uh i ended up sort of inheriting a label like three years later so i was like 17 putting out records i thought were cool in the paris metal scene um Mm -hmm. my big advantage was that i'd been writing a review every day so i saw more i saw more like i would just see what worked like i was exposed to so many bands you know so i'd be like oh well 
this band has maybe not as many Facebook followers, but got me a lot of traction on the post. What what are they doing? You know, just not mm. even out of any sort of early on, especially not out of any sort of like, oh, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. But just like out of just like, oh, I would like to get more hits on my fucking blogger blog, you know, and then this sure. turns into the label, which, you know, I finish high school and I need like a job. So I end up working for my friend's PR firm, um, go to college for like 20 minutes before I drop out because, you know, man, 10,000 people. None of them like Dark Throne. The fuck? Um, <laughs> what were you studying for the 10 minutes? Philosophy and music. Okay. Except like in my philosophy class, I'd like quote Napalm Death lyrics and Woods of Ypres and like nobody else could fucking read. So like whatever. Um, my music classes were cool though. Like, 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 I definitely had like a couple professors who like knew about Napalm Death and like knew about like weird avant jazz, which is like what I mostly care about because I'm very, very lonely. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, so I drop out to go work for this guy full time. Yeah, and then a couple months later, I so I drop out, move to Brooklyn, work for this guy full time. Uh. And a couple months later, that guy goes through some personal stuff. We're still friends. Everything's cool. We still do work together. Um, we're working on a campaign right now. But he lets mm. me go. And I'm like 19. And I have rent coming due. And I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? But what happened is that a bunch of um, a bunch of the bands we'd been working with hit uh, the PR firm because we left on good terms. You know, those bands hit me up and we're like, hey. Um, could you keep giving us advice? Nice. And I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And then it sort of spiraled from there. And I, you know, and I managed a couple, I managed a band that was pretty viral at one point called Tenker Cavalry, um, kind of guided them through the, the first kind of explosion of that band. Um, mm. you know, and then everything else kind of fell into place from there, you know, piece by piece. And, Obviously, everything's always a struggle. I think the latest real highlight that accelerated things was I got invited to speak at Inferno in Norway uh, last year by my friend Christopher Nygaard. Uh, You know, and that really was a huge move. And obviously, two and a half years ago, starting Bacon Spits at the um, with the influence of Curtis Dewar telling me to do that. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that actually accelerated me to go do the Inferno thing. Um, and got me to a position today where it's like, oh, I get to like work on top 40 metal records and, you know, fucking send dumb texts to members of Black Dahlia murder. (laughs) That's cool. You know, I mean, you know, someone's got to put Trevor in his place. (laughs) Right. I actually, actually, funny, funny you mentioned that I actually have a picture of Trevor on my, my office wall. Cause I've got, I I bought the, uh, so yeah, you see the t-shirt I'm wearing is the, uh, uh, decibel tour i i saw this one and i saw the caucus one i'm i'm going off on a tangent but anyway so that tour as well so so uh trevor's on my wall anyway i love it long story short is it just me or is like every time you see carcass like and i've seen carcass a few times but every time i see them i'm still just like oh this is so good (laughs) so quick quick other tangent um i'm i'm a fair bit older than you but 94 ish i guess when Hot Work came out. So I had a friend in high school that uh, went to a show, a local show then, and they were handing out like a cassette with, uh, 
you know, two songs on it as, as off of caucus. And I forget what it was. And he, and he said, Hey, buy this for five pounds. And he was, he thought he was ripping me off, but honestly, that was the best five pounds I ever spent like, yeah. that I didn't have at that time. And, you know, fast forward, Hotwork became one of my favorite of all time albums. Um, but yeah, totally. I love that Ian Christie thing where he says Heartwork was the black album of death metal. I can see that. I've not heard that quote, but I can definitely see that. Absolutely. Well, just because like when I look at it, I, like when you hear that record and how pop, like especially like considering that like three years before they had been doing fucking um, what's the one before Necrotizing the Insalubrious? Uh, Ooh. You know, they've been doing Gore Grind. Yeah. And the fact that they come out and they're like, here's like Super the fucking polished. queen guitar part. Yeah, and you know, I always thought that was a remarkable, remarkable moment in the history of death metal. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, anyway, we we digress. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you, you, so did you grow up in Brooklyn, or you, you said DC? I know. Well, so I, I actually I was born in France, but then I grew up outside of Philadelphia okay. before moving back to France. Um, okay, you know, cool. doing the thing. Um, so yeah, you want to yeah i've been seeing that you've been posting that you're moving and then just found out that you're uh, i think i heard it on your podcast that you're moving to london um which is kind of kind of uh you know i guess kindred or, or kismet i guess you know i i spent uh 18 years in new england so and then i moved to texas but i'm originally from england so what prompted the move to london i mean to be fair i made this choice when things were looking a lot more optimistic um uh, totally you know like back in july august but uh no i mean honestly a couple things first and foremost new york had much more of a uh exodus than than london did mm-hmm. and so a good chunk like i had like five people i hung out with like at least once a week in new york and most of them moved away four of them moved away you know and so when that happened i was like okay right um, and then, uh, then I like looked at London where I spend more time socializing because my life is absurd. Uh, and I was like, oh, like all my London friends still live in London. Mm. That's interesting. And oh, my, my biggest client plastic head is based right outside of London, you know? Okay. And so then it was like, okay, I can move to London or LA and I don't like LA because it's not for me. Right. Um, and, uh. I was like, okay, well, like living in living in London is something I've been talking about doing for a really long time, and staying in Brooklyn is probably not good for my mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, because like it got to a point where like literally, like of like the five people I would hang out with, three were women, two were dudes, and then all three women moved moved away, and there was literally like a two and a half month period I just didn't talk to any women socially, mm-hmm. and I was like, that that's really, that's kind of scary, and I feel right. like that can lead to a lot of really negative stuff and so i was like okay well like i need to course correct for that because i don't want to be an insane incel Mm -hmm. um yeah you know so ultimately that's where the decision came from you know Mm -hmm. it was this idea of like okay well like the people i could hang out weekly with in london is a lot higher like my biggest clients are over there we're doing a bunch of stuff together you know like okay cool like if i you know in the in the name of not going crazy and instead being supportive and cool, this is probably a decision I want to make. And of course, it's a decision I made when England at one point was under like 300 cases a day. 
Right. Um, you know, and the U and the US was just like right. <laughs> you know, whatever. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, like we got forty thousand over here and like three hundred over there. <laughs> um yeah. you know So what 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 are the challenges uh aside from Brexit? I mean, can you even sorry, not Brexit. We'll get to that. Um, aside from COVID, I mean, are they allowing you to go in? Like, is it still? Yeah, you just have to quarantine for fourteen days okay. once you're in. That's fair. So, so but like, you can have people come see you for mental health, whatever. And so, I'm right. just gonna get like a a day turnaround test when I arrive, and then hmm. you know. Um. So yeah. So bearing in mind that, uh, I mean that the. the I, I guess in, I don't know going that direction. I don't know what the uh, um, immigration stuff's like because I did it the other way back in the two uh, thousands. Um, but do you think that maybe uh, like ha- how's your plan as far as doing something? Um, so my my basically my question is your 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 plan is to continue you you know drop out media yeah. and do your social media and and things, but. Are you planning on adding something in terms of Brexit? Because now Brexit is going to, I think it's going to fuck up the industry, the touring industry for bands going in and out of England. Honestly, I've heard from other people in England that are like, I I don't know how we're going to go to Europe at this point because the restrictions are going to be so ridiculous and the costs that we may not be able to get out of the country. So is that something you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't really impact me personally as much. And No, but as a, like, as a service. As a, as a service, yeah. Um, you know, and I've definitely, like, helped people clear their visas before. It's not really something I'm deeply interested in. Um, okay. You know, and also it's, like, it's tricky because uh. one of the interesting things about COVID is the, the sort of... And I think a lot of people felt this way, you know, having a deep burnout on live music, especially when you live in a live music hub, because you live in Austin, correct? I live in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Actually. Okay. So a little bit less of a hub, but you still have a lot of good shows normally. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, and, and when you when you live somewhere like that, um, you know, like there's just so many good shows every night of the week, like literally every night of the week in Brooklyn, there's some there was some sort of like blood incantation over here and poison idea over here and then fucking church of misery down the street. And like, you'd be going to like three shows and it Mm. was, you know, and so I almost like, don't want to ever go back to that. (laughs) Like that was nice, I guess. But also like, I was just so burnt out. Like, honestly, the first like couple months of COVID, I was like, okay, like no no concerts. This is, this is what I needed. Um, Mm. you know, but now, you know, especially as someone who's been to, 150 shows a year you know every year since he was 18 and then maybe 50 shows a year a few years prior to that mm. you know like so you know we'll see i, I you know i i think the brexit thing is gonna be sloppy i think what a lot of this fuels quite frankly is um just more like true diy more borderline illegal stuff that just needs to happen mm. because it needs to happen you know um, right I've definitely, I'm not going to say that on, on a podcast, <laughs> um, but what I am going to say is that uh, what I will say is I think that a lot of people for a long time have been 
learning different ways to get into countries with their instruments and not be called oh, yeah. touring musicians. Sure. And I think that some people know a lot about that. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I think that, that those people are going to be a little bit more in demand. And I think that's just what we're going to see more of because quite frankly, you know, like the U.S.'s success rate on catching like musicians who shouldn't be there touring is like not that high. Like, let, let's mm-hmm. be real. like, like, like. And also, you know, I think that the U.S. has a reasonable arts lobby. That means that like if you get in on like a B2 visa, you can sort of be OK. Uh, and I believe the U.K. has something similar, you know, okay. then you just have to do some workarounds with the funds. Um, but. Is it going to suck? Yeah. Is it going to impact a lot of things negatively? Yeah. Um, you know, so who knows? I, I don't really know enough. For me, it's more, like I said, just living somewhere close to more friends, mm. close to more business opportunities that is not Los Angeles. Awesome. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, you, you'll definitely have a lot of... Uh, gig opportunities as well because you know where, whereabouts in if you're comfortable saying whereabouts you're staying in london highgate okay so yeah i mean you, you're gonna have plenty of uh you know smaller clubs and bigger clubs and whatever all around the london area Absolutely. It's, it's it's really you know condensed oh no you it's know, one of my I, I, go ahead yo camden is one of my favorite music neighborhoods in the world right and i've spent a lot of time there and it's like and this is what kills me, right? Is mm-hmm. like, and this is like the most fucking pretentious thing to have kill you. Um, is like that at the Black Heart in Camden, where I'm assuming you've been. I have not. I honestly, I left. I left the U, uh, the UK when I was twenty, so I didn't get to London as much. Okay. You know, in those two years when I could get into clubs and stuff, so okay. I haven't really spent a ton of time in the music scene in London. Oh, okay. Um, more, no, more, my, bo- more the Boston area in my 20s and 30s. So. For sure. O'Brien's all day. Um, mm-hmm. No. So it's more, um, you know, like that, that, like that bar and just like having people know who I am in that bar anytime I go is just like, that's pretty cool. And I really miss that. Mm. Um, you know, like I miss having that other home. And I think that's a big part of it, you know, is like, oh, there's this other place where I know all the people who go to shows. Right. And it's one of my favorite places to go to shows. Um, Yeah. You know, I feel like it's interesting. I think metal in in America is an interesting place as it increasingly ages with not a lot of young blood. Mm. I mean, I think there is young blood for certain things and it's definitely encouraging to see bands like Daughters or Municipal Waste bring in young people. But you know, the average age at St. Vitus Bar, which is admittedly a bit of an anomaly because it's very much like a thinky, thinky metal bar, mm. um, which makes me giggle to say, uh, you know, but like the average age is probably 35 plus. And, you know, it leads to a different sort of metal appreciation. And I, you know, and, and I and it's cool. And I really like that. Like, I really like not being pushed. And I like that everyone is sort of there for the same reasons and will stand there with their arms crossed and golf clap like because i'm a fucking horrible person but i do appreciate the sort of madness of the london crowds and the enthusiasm of that scene Mm. and the like as someone who doesn't drink really 99 percent sober i call it like i still get a lot of joy out of watching these like 
60 year old metal dudes just be fucking destroyed <laughs> it's the most fascinating thing in the world to me um like they're just still going for it i'm like wow okay hey good for them absolutely um um yeah so that that sounds like a really cool opportunity and you know i think you'll enjoy it getting completely different um you know into a con- completely different environment uh, you will definitely have to visit my hometown of Bexhill and that whole area of the coast and get some really good fish. Uh, if you if you eat fish, I do not eat fish. Oh. I'm like a monk. Then, I'm sorry. Then never mind. <laughs> but for for anyone's in in you know a coastal town of England, just go try the fish and chips because it's freaking amazing. That's one. That's the one thing I really miss the most. Um, so let's talk about some of the bands you've worked on. So you worked with uh, November's Doom. I signed November's Doom. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely love that band. Can you talk about that, like how that came to be? And so it's actually pretty funny. They they sent out like an email via Clawhammer PR that they were looking for an for a label, and then my friend mm. Andreas, who also works at Prophecy, sent it to me. I was like, "Hey, do you want to? You think we can maybe do this?" And so I reached out, and it was cool because I have a lot of connections in the Chicago metal scene, the Doom scene in particular, through. Um, the guys in the skull, you know, mm. like Ron Holzner, I, I call Uncle Ronnie and he calls me Sparky. It's very cute. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so like those guys have been my friends for a long time. Uh, there's a few other people out there who really like, you know, were able to be like, no, like Matt's cool. Mm. And, and so then we managed to put together a deal and we've been working on a few other cool things together. And I, I, I genuinely feel as someone who's been a November's Doom fan since high school. I genuinely feel that new record Nephilim's Grove is one of their best ever. And I will say that that song, what we become is mm. maybe my favorite song I've ever put out. Fantastic. Just because the chorus is so huge, serious. And I won't be offended, but as a November's doom fan, where does Nephilim's Grove fall for you? Pretty, I mean, yeah, it's pretty, pretty up there. I would say I'd, I'd have to go back and really no, yeah. dig in and, and say, or, right, you know, do, do my ratings and whatever. But, yeah, it's a killer. No, yeah, I was really, really proud of the guys for pulling that together. Um, you know, they're 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 a special band. Mm. And obviously, you know, being a white guy in his twenties, anything with a connection to Woods of E. Prey. <laughs> so, Prophecy Productions is the label that you run. Is that... uh, no, I just do A and R and digital marketing for them. I also okay. signed. I also signed Coven to that label. Cool. Um, yeah, which was also a really cool project because Jinx is a a magical, wonderful person who I love. I hope she hears me say that on this. <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder what, what to you is the, the core thing about working with bands and, you know, PR and all this stuff. What, what's like the primary either skill or benefit for you? The primary skill you need to have mm. is communication. And a lot of stuff that happened to me, especially early on, like good stuff that happened was simply because I communicated and I did shit. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, even when I was like 17, I was like helping out Hellfest with like interviews and translations. And I, that's still a relationship I have today. Uh, although right now I don't really know what that's going to look like going forward. <laughs> you know, uh, through no fault of theirs, obviously, <laughs> you know, but like, but like the point being like those, you know, like just because I, I responded to emails quickly, and if I was like, yeah, I'll go interview this guy or, oh, I'll have this transcribed by this day. 99% of the time it would get done. And if it didn't get done, usually there was a pretty good excuse. 
Mm. You know, that was like, you know, like, obviously there are, you know, whatever. I don't need to tell you there are legit excuses for things. But, um, you know, but the point being, um, that's the biggest skill. Because, like, once you show that you're, like, reliable and you can reply to emails quickly, you know, people just go, oh, okay. Because, like, so many people aren't reliable and can't reply to emails quickly and need to be asked to do things, like, eight times. So if you're just like, yeah, I'll, I'll go do this thing pretty straightforward and I'll go send these emails or whatever, you know, people are like, oh, okay. And what I've found is that even when you screw something up really badly, mm-hmm. um, if you are able to go like, hey, man, um, I screwed up, but like, let's talk through this. And if you communicate through it, generally people are like, oh, okay. And then they like want to find a solution with you. Whereas if you try to like hide that you fucked up, then people are like, oh, this is sus. What the fuck? And then it becomes, you know what I mean? So it's like, so just learning those things and making a ton of mistakes along the way, you know, having to be sober for a long time and now like drink scotch with my dad. And that's like pretty much it. Um, You know, like having to figure that kind of stuff out was dramatic. Um, And, um, you know, those things I think are the real keys is, is just communicating, being reliable. But then the biggest benefit I think is, you know, there's no sensation like you're at a big festival and you go up and your band who you work, you've been working with for a long time, go and play in front of 80,000 people. Like I'm getting goosebumps talking about that. And you're just That's like, fantastic. Oh, or like just like a band like insanity alert who I've known since their demos. Um, and I've been friends with Kevin for that entire time, like watching them play Hellfest. First, that like the hardcore stage, that was cool. But then watching them play the main stage opening for Slayer, when this was a band I've been like emailing about like municipal waste memes since I was 15 and having it be like, like, that's my guy. And we're not like super, super close or anything, but we've known each other this entire time. And we've like always liked each other and always, you know, you know, the fact that like, oh, I can talk to that guy. And like, you know, that's really rewarding, like the sense of community. Uh, you know, the sense of, you know, the other day uh, going to the record store with when I'm one of my best friends, Mark Urselli, and he was going to pick up that angel headed hipster record. Um, if you know about that, it's it's like this mm-hmm. really cool record he did with his mentor, um, Hal Wilmer, may he rest in peace. Uh, that's um, like pop stars and classic rock artists doing T-Rex songs. So it's got everyone from like Elton John to Kesha. And okay. so. We went together, we got brunch, and then we went down to um, the record store. And, like, he picked up that record, and I picked up, like, a Zach, a Zach Sabbath record I worked on and a fucking Necrot record I worked on. It was like, this is insane. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like oh, I get to go with this Grammy-winning producer who worked with Elton John to go look for our records in the record store. You That's, know, and then I got yeah. there, and I found out that I'm not sure if this was cooler or not as cool that the records I had that of my guys had actually been sold out before I got there. And I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> that's like a little more money in my pocket, I guess. But would have been kind of cool to pick it up at the store. But still, like those experiences are really rewarding where it's like, oh, wow, like I get to be one of those guys. And like I'm executive mm. producing a record for Mark right now. And Mark worked with Ornette Coleman and John Zorn mm. and like has bono's email like and so getting to be part of that legacy right where it's like okay i executive produced a thing for mark who produced for ornette coleman who worked with count basie who worked with louis armstrong who knew sydney bechet 
you know, like that really matters to me is like, you know, it's the same thing with Coven where it's like, okay, I'm working with Coven who played shows with all these people, like who knew uh, Jim Morrison, you know, like getting to be a part of that legacy, I think is really important to me Mm. Um, because I think that there's not a lot of people, uh, you know, in general who are a part of that legacy anymore. And, you know, and part of it is obviously it's, it's fun to flex that, you know, it's fun to flex meeting Joan Jett, but like on another level, um, you know, I think it's important that there are people who understand and have meaningfully interacted with musical culture from a variety of generations, from a variety of genres, ideally. You know, this is why I've spent a lot of time with my friend Vince Bellino teaching me a lot about rap in the last year and really like just making sure I understand these things and wanting to meet more people in that world. Mm. Um, you know, but it's why I'm so obsessed with jazz. It's why I'm so obsessed with like, the blues on a variety of levels um you know because i think that you need to have people who understand the culture and who want to share it and who can make these connections i think that's important you know um and you have to find ways to do it that you know make sense under capitalism uh Uh you know which which like i don't like i don't know like capitalism works out okay for me like (laughs) i appreciate it's not like good in I appreciate it's not good in general, but it's like, okay, like for me, it's like, these are the rules. Mm. How do I do something I care about that I feel people will enjoy and find useful? And, you know, like for a long time, I wanted to kill myself and listening to death metal made me feel better. How can I put out, how can I bring more awareness of death metal bands that might make other people feel better, Mm. you know, or doom metal or whatever, you know, like that November's doom record, like, got me through a lot me and my roommate through a lot of stuff you know um and it's important you know and it's important to recognize and support the people who historically have helped you you know so when you get to you know like like because there's a huge lack of education in the music industry there's a huge need for support totally you know and so if you get to take the time to be like look you know, I can help sell more copies of this Zach Wilde record when Zach Wilde was like my world when I was 14. You know, that's really cool. And then if you can do it on a more micro level where you're just helping out whatever band you thought was cool and who helped you emotionally or mentally or whatever, you know, and who just, you know, like I think to do this, you have to have an obsession, you know, mm-hmm. and there aren't. And that's just something you got to figure out. It's like, how do I negotiate this obsession? You know, because I think that even within some of the music companies I work with, I think people view my, some of my interests as pretty intense, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause I'll be like, Oh my God, you have to listen to this. Like I've been really into this record on Lyricord. That's the street music essential Java. Um, and that's been like on repeat the past like week or two. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't like really like break that out in the Metal Blade office and be like, guys, <laughs> everybody stop. Street Music Essential Java is a jam. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I would much rather have that kind of passion than just like be like, yeah, this is okay. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, but it's interesting because different people have different, pa- different ways of interfa- oh, interfacing. Sure. And, you know, and I, you have to be respectful and appreciate those, you know, like mm. I, I loved when I met Ryan, 
at Metal Blade, who was also in Black Dahlia for a mm-hmm. while. You know, like when he's like walking around, he'll just like sing death metal to himself. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like when I was first, I was like, oh, my God, like, you're that guy. And he's like, yeah, you know, just, I mean, that's so rad that like you're that dedicated to death metal and you're just, you know, that like right. and that's what's exciting and interesting is like so many people have dedicated 30, 40, 50 years to this thing. How do I continue to be a part of that meaningfully? You know, how do I contribute and kind of get to help people along, even if I, quite frankly, don't really believe in a next generation for this in America. Mm. Um, You know, I do see it happening in Europe, and I do see other forms of dark music I enjoy growing in America. Um, So, yeah, you know. That's that's killer. I really appreciate you sharing all that. That was was killer. Jumping off that, one of the things that really jumped out to me to what I've seen you say on Instagram and whatnot is, is the why... And I think, like, going from how um, passionate you are about something to why you're passionate about it. uh, Yeah, can you talk about, you know, your why? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a Bacon's bit the other day. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, on some level, more than I want to admit, it's because, like, a bunch of people said I couldn't do it, and now I'm doing a lot, now I'm doing it, and I'm doing it at a really high level. Not Mm. a really high level, but, like, a a much higher level than might have been assumed. Um, You know... And I think, uh, you know, like, it, it's really cool to, like, categorically prove people wrong, um, you know, family members, <laughs> people you grew up with, whatever, and just be like, look, like, I get to, like, hang out with celebrities and, like, do, like, cool records that go top 40 on, like, real charts. Mm. And, you know, so, like, that, there's an element of that, I think, an element of, like, righteous vengeance. <laughs> um you know but but beyond that you know it's more of what i talked about earlier where it's like how do we you know how do i share these things that i think matter that i think other people will get something out of with the world Mm. at scale how do i help people share their art you know because sometimes you get you know because sometimes you can impact some people really positively and you know and there's also just a sense of like what can i uncover who can i help who can i connect in, you know, and sometimes that's the most interesting thing. Like some of these people I got, I don't think I can announce it on Mark Urselli's record that I executive produced. Some of the guests I got him, you know, like mm-hmm. this is going to be a really big deal for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really exciting to me. Is that like, okay, like we can help elevate the dialogue around this person, you know, and realizing, okay, we have these connections like with Plastic Head doing distribution deals in Europe and helping bands, you know, like Acid King merch and and Trouble merch hadn't really been available in Europe before. Mm. You'd have to pay a lot of money, you know, and I was able to like connect those guys just by virtue of knowing them. And it's like, okay, cool. Like this is incredible, you know, that like there's this underserved thing for a thing that I know a lot of people really care about on like an emotional level. And I can, you know, and I can work my way to a point where, okay, cool. You have, you need this, here you go, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's really important is to just be like, cool. How do we, you know, like, and that's what so much of the fucking bleeding out your eyes is for is so that you can do things like that so that you can just ratchet it up, ratchet up, you know, build Mm -hmm. your way into opportunities that meaningfully help people meaningfully connect the scene you know and there's a lot of bullshit you have to go through to do that 
you know, to get to that point. And, you know, but like, that's the thing is like, it's still worth it in the long run. You know, I don't really think, especially on the underground metal label level that there isn't that there's, for instance, people whose entire job is just sign bands, you know, Mm. but like, you know, usually it's like sign bands and run the social media for the label or sign bands and do, you know what, you know, um, which is cool, but you know, if the goal is to bring attention to new things or, or help put old things in a position, a better position than they've ever been before. Like with November's doom, where they got out of a not very good record deal and they, you know, now they're able to be in like a record deal where they get accounting statements. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty important. Yeah. Well, you know, it doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. I kind of guess that. Yeah. You know, so like the fact that like they can have that is like, good like this is a band who matter and like i want them to be in a position where they're happy because there's a lot of bands a lot of classic bands who are in really fucked deals that they just can't do anything there's a particular classic band who they can't put out their next record which is written because they're locked in with their label who haven't made a social media post in several years and the problem is that they were they hit their label up and they were like look like you clearly aren't doing anything can we just like put this out with someone else and the label was like, yeah, but if we, if I ever decide to relaunch, I need big bands like you. <laughs> and they're like, what do we... That's, yeah, that's that sucks. Yeah, you know, so it's like, how do you, you know, so, so just trying to get to a point where, like, you have the clout that you can just fix those things, mm. you know, and that's, like, something I can't always do, but it's it's starting to happen, and that's, you know, and it's like, okay, cool. Like, again, it's like, what are the rules? How can I play by them? or around them to help Mm. people, you know, and maybe if my core competences are a little more business oriented than your average musician, you know, fine. Let me just use that skill and, you know, help people and make some money along the way. And, uh, you know, try to get, try to get some sweet, sweet residuals going. Yeah, totally. You know, that's the real dream. (laughs) Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, I think, that that is uh, a key strategy that a lot of people don't get. I mean, look at how just look at how industries across the board have changed since you know the industrial revolution, and you know you're seeing things change at such a rapid rate that you can't just do the same thing over and over and expect to retire. Now you have to have multiple streams of income, and you know I think everyone no matter if they're musicians or not, it's it's something that everyone has to get into the mindset of. Yeah, well, so. I mean, I think it's not even necessarily that. I think it's just, yeah, people just don't want to accept that the economy that they, they're, of every generation. Mm. The economy mm. they're growing up in is not the economy they thought they were going into. Mm-hmm. And it's not the economy, and it doesn't necessarily work the way they thought they did. And it doesn't, it probably doesn't work the way they want it to. Right. But ultimately, you know, everything you need to know about life is in The Prince, how to win friends and influence people and um, crush it by Gary Vee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, I don't know, like I could distill like most of what I say to like those three books, you know, I also really like, um, there's a few other things I really like. What was the first one you said? Uh, the Prince by Machiavelli. Okay. That one I don't think I'm as familiar with. The other two, absolutely. I mean, oh God, how to win friends and influence people is like yeah. the Bible. Like I have a copy. It's like one of my most treasured possessions. I have a copy, um, that was marked up by my grandfather like 40 years ago. Wow. And then I, and then I've put my markups on it and it's like, mm. 
you know, that book, that book matters. Yep. So are you going to say a couple more? Oh, a couple more books to read. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, the Russell Brunson uh, funnel series of expert secrets, dot com secrets and traffic secrets is really, really good. Uh, even if he's a little bit crazy, but like whatever, um, you know, uh, I think 10 X, uh, the 10X rule by Grant Cardone is really, really good. I think a lot of people think it's corny, but it's excellent. One of the other most important books in my life that I should have listed earlier is um, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which was also a huge impact on the early hardcore scene. Bad Brains mm-hmm. cite that as their favorite book. Um, okay. You know, so I'm very, very, very into that text. I'm into a lot of the prosperity gospel stuff, um, even if some of the stuff is a little bit weird. I also think those guys generally had good intentions. Um you know what I mean? Uh, mm. I think, um, you know, there are white guys in the 30s. Like, cut, like I <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, yeah, so, so those I really like. I really like Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port. That, op- that was one I read early on and opened my eyes to a lot and like made me understand things a little bit better. Um, oh. Getting Everything You Can Out of All That You've Got by Jay Abraham is possibly the best marketing book ever written. Um, okay. On Advertising by uh, by Ogilvy is obviously a classic. Um, lots of pictures. Um, but actually a really enjoyable read and definitely um, opened me up to some stuff and definitely like, I'm really into reading like formative texts of um, a field, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know, just so you can like actually understand the field a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because even if you do that, like I read on advertising by Ogilvy after having read a bunch of other advertising books. Um, and yeah, anyway, um, product launch formula by Jeff Walker and copywriting secrets by fuck. Now I have to look. This is the last one. This is another, this is the, Oh, um, Jim Edwards, but then also, uh, the ad weekly guide to copywriting or something by Joseph Sugarman. Joseph Sugarman is the man. And he's very awesome. weird. And I really like him. And I, I think we would be friends in real life. I like to do a non-quick fire question round at the end. Um, but you can you can make these as, as, as brief as you, as you need to. What significant negative experience have you overcome and what did it teach you? You know, being an alcoholic. And it taught me, don't binge drink, buddy. you know no i mean it it taught me that like you can overcome things even if you think you can't you know i think uh and you know and the answer is not necessarily straight sobriety um although it was for me for a while um you know now i I probably have 10 drinks a year Mm -hmm. um and and that was a really big one that was probably the biggest one um so yeah you know call it there thank you for sharing that what major positive experiences given you the encouragement encouragement to follow this journey um meeting and interviewing uh playing guitar with glenn tipton and then meeting ace freely the day after wow maybe two days after it was really cool that's that's fantastic (laughs) what led to that uh i was interviewing them for hellfest oh okay and then i was hanging out with glenn tipton i was like glenn tipton can i play your guitar and he was like yeah and i was like (laughs) wow okay that that's killer yeah fangirl moment uh, how can you top that? But what does music mean to you? Um, you know, it's 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 a it's a series of twelve notes played in an order that makes sense. <laughs> no, uh, that's going on a t-shirt. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, that should be like a fucking like uh, one of those corny like Instagram quotes. Yeah, you know, 
music is a series of 12 notes matt bacon um no i mean i i think music you know like there's that quote going around paul masvidal said this to me when i was pretty young um that uh you know art is how we decorate space and music is how we decorate time mm-hmm. um you know which I, which i think is relevant i also but i also think that you know like i really like that singing neanderthal theory that idea that you know human communication came out a song and which makes a lot of sense because you can you can sing a melody to someone from a completely different language group mm-hmm. and they can still understand something you were trying to communicate you know what i mean and um even if they don't even have a diatonic structure going on, like you can listen like, I'm really into like pig, the music of the pygmies and you can tell which songs are sorrowful and which songs are joyful. Um, I'm not sure I've heard any like angry pygmy songs. Maybe if you like hunting ones, um, but, but you know what I mean? Mm, and like, uh, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's that element. Um, you know, I, I think that level of communication is really valuable. And I think the level of just how it brings people together in a way that you're like, can be insane. You know what I mean? That like literally the other day I posted a picture of myself after seeing Guar when I was 18 and my boy, my boy hit me up and was like, bro, that girl in the background of the picture, like who is not even like someone I know or someone, you know, just some girl in the background is like, I know her. And like, oh, we like we we've been going to shows together for twenty years, and uh, you know what I mean. And like, yeah, that's really fun to me. Is it's just like that element of like, oh, you know, like, and the fact that you can like, I remember the first concert I ever went to was Robert Plant. Okay, and it's still like a top five concert ever because you know, God, um. And like, I remember watching him sing and like tripping out that like. That's Robert Plant opening his mouth, mm-hmm. singing Led Zeppelin songs. And I'm like six feet away from him. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. And like I, I have had those experiences, you know, like like there's like this weird thing where I think. You know, music. is just something that exists a lot of the time, especially now on a piece of wax, on a laser disc, on an MP3. And then you see that person in life, you know, and it's like, and this can be someone who has a lot of lore behind them or just someone normal, you know, like there mm-hmm. is definitely, I had this moment listening to when the Carpa- the three quarters of Carpathian Forest went and started uh, Third Degree, I think their band is called. I was at the listening party crammed between two of the guys and I was like, Oh man, these guys these guys have done some like bad things. <laughs> you know, like but like there's like something kind of to that too, you know, just getting to interface with history and music really lets you do that, you know, like in a way that I think is interesting and fun, you know, like I guess I could go be like a political consultant and meet some some cats, but like I don't really want to do that. I want to like you know, like I can text Jinx Dawson who invented this a picture of my cat and she will respond with a picture of her cat. <laughs> that's, that's a killer point to end on. Right? You know, like, like what more do you want? <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, re- really appreciate you hanging out. No, thank you, man. This was fun. Uh, just to round it out, where can people find you and get in touch? Uh, follow me on Instagram at bacons.bits. 
um, or on Twitter at BaconsBits underscore. I know it's confusing. Please don't yell at me. I've been trying to fix it. Um, but on uh, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, you can find my daily advice series. We talked about the hashtag BaconsBits advice series that I think you'll get a lot out of. It's pretty educational, pretty cool. A lot of nifty yeah. stuff. Um, and you'll see me post something about this podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, at the end of the episode, I'd like to play a song from usually the artist I'm interviewing, but in your case, if there's somebody you'd like to give a shout out to that's maybe, you know, that's connected to you personally, um, that you'd like to, yeah, just like to play and I can get permission to play it. Um, yeah, you, you, since we talked about them, it would be fun to play, uh, insanity alert have this song called run to the pit. That is a parody of run to the hills but thrash Mm -hmm. metal and about moshing nice let's do it and it's so much goddamn fun awesome we'll play it thank you so much thank you simon i really appreciate it thanks as always for listening i really hope you enjoyed this episode i'd really be grateful if you could support the podcast by leaving a review on itunes checking out the store or just telling your friends about the show keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other This is Insanity Alert with Run to the Pit.